Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading begins in Matthew 12, 38 through 50. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, An evil, adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister right, and so mother. Kind of in celebration of kicking off our uh, uh, family discipleship summer plan here in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to do something pretty fun. So if I, if I got some kids in the room, any kids in the room, here's what I want you to do. Can you give me a thumbs up? I'm kind of a thumbs up person. Kids, thumbs up. I like it. So here's what's going to happen, all right? As we walk through the sermon this morning, we're going to look back at a lot of really cool Bible stories. And when we do, if you remember that Bible story, kids, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me a big thumbs up. Like, I got that one. I know what you're talking about. And if you're in, like, middle school and high school, you're an adult and you're just too cool, just, you can just sit there and stare at me. It'll be okay. But the kids, we're not too cool. Thumbs up, right? That's what I'm talking about. So we're good to go. All right. So uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, here in Matthew chapter 12, they want to see a sign. They're asking Jesus for a sign. Show us your authority. Show us your power. If you are who you say you are, if you are who these other people are beginning to say that you are and that you can do these things, show us a sign. And what they mean is some unexplainable act that displays or gives testimony to God's presence. Have you ever asked for a sign? Have you, ever, have you ever just like, God, if you're out there, show me. So when I was a kid, uh, my backyard is the north fork of the Holston River. It's like, like I could throw a ball from my deck and probably get it in the river. It's just right there. And it's a pretty good-sized river. It's not like a little creek. And I remember I would sometimes be playing in the woods, and I was brought up in church and taught Bible stories. And there's this part in Joshua 
as they're crossing the River Jordan, that the water stood up on a heap. Now, I don't know exactly what on a heap means. That's kind of one of those country sayings, and I wasn't like smart enough back then to try to figure out how to study such a thing. So I just imagined this like wall of water that just stopped. It's kind of cool. And then they were able to cross on dry ground. I thought it would be really cool if God would give me a sign and let me do that in the North Fork of the Holston River. It's like, God, I won't tell anybody. It'll just be a sign to me. It'll be really cool. And, and like, I'll know, like, you are legit. This is, this is what I'm hoping for. Now, yours may not have been quite as ridiculous maybe as mine or maybe as self-centered. But the truth is, if you think about it, I, my guess is most of us have sought a sign from the Lord. At some point in time in our life, we've just sought for him to put on display his presence. And that's exactly what's happening here. So why do we seek a sign? Now that, that's a really big question, and we can't really unpack all of it, but I do want you to see a certain nuance, okay? And then we'll jump in. So uh, three quick things. One, signs are really exciting. Like, they're exciting. And when we usually say, I want to see a sign of the Lord, here's what we mean. Something new. Something fascinating. Let, 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 me, let me back up and make sure you understand the point. Have you guys ever, like, went outside and looked around? God made that. That's crazy. Like, go look into the, like, into the universe at night. Get you a telescope. Go wander through the woods. Just get you a TV and watch the Discovery Channel. It's incredible. God made all that. That's an incredible sign. That's almost boring to you. Why? That's not new. You've seen a cicada before, right? So you're not sitting there going, oh, man, that's wowing. Why? Watch. Because it's not fascinating or new to you. And so you're seeking a different sign. It's not only that it's exciting, it's also engaging. We don't think about it very much, but when we seek a sign, we are seeking a sign for ourselves. The sign for someone else didn't happen to you. You didn't experience it the same way. And so we are self-centered, and we want to experience the presence of God in a unique and fascinating way that's exciting to us. And third, we seek signs for evidence. As if we saw this sign, it would answer all of our questions. That all of a sudden, we would understand everything. I mean, surely it wouldn't just leave us with like a million more questions. But in the illusion of our self-centeredness, we seek a sign to do these types of things. And what's happening is we seek signs because... We see ourselves as the focus point. We put ourselves at the center. All right, kids, let's, let's chase another way. Got the kids in the room, all right? Here's what I want you to do. You got to be honest. We're going to tell the truth. Do you ever get bored in church? Like, it happens, right? Yeah, let's say, I, I, I see some of them. They're like, yeah. I mean, definitely more when Pastor Mike is preaching, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. All right. So here's the truth. It's a, I get bored in church still. 
When I was a kid, I used to sit through church services and dream up episodes of the Dukes of Hazard. All right? Um, the, the kids have no idea what, what I'm talking about. But it, it's like, it was like a TV show, and they just jumped cars over things. That's basically it. They were from Irwin, like Mike, and it was great. It was good. And uh, I used to dream up episodes where my mom could jump, like, our Oldsmobile over stuff. It was going to be incredible. Watch. Why then do we gather to worship? And, and why do we prioritize it, even among our kids? See, the gathering is primary. Kids, listen to me, this is important. All those other things, like our preschool program, our kids, launch, all this other stuff that we do, it's a secondary thing. It's a blessing, we use it. But the gathering, what we're doing right now, God's people coming together to worship, is primary. It is prescribed for us in the scriptures. We are called and set apart to do this thing. And although the Bible allows for lots of freedom in the gathering, it clearly calls us together, together, to praise and to worship the one true God. See, worship isn't about us. Did you catch that? Worship is not about us. And the gathering, kids, watch this. I know this is hard sometimes. And you think, man, there's so many more engaging. There's so many more exciting things out there. This gathering teaches us something. That week over week, we are not at the center. That there is something greater. Something greater than even ourselves. And it is worth our devotion it is worth our worship and so we show up here whether we feel like it or not and we proclaim God is worthy and that's what we're doing and you'll learn more in doing that than probably any one lesson that you would ever retain it's an incredible gift this thing that we get to do Something greater is here. Something greater. Something greater than you or I. Something greater than any sign we would dream up or would want. See, that's a hard truth because in our sin, we so desire to twist things back to ourselves, to seek to center the world around our experiences and our emotions. And right here, in Matthew chapter 12, that's exactly what is happening. The scribes and the Pharisees are doing just that. They said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. A sign from you. Now, these scribes and these Pharisees had studied God's word. And they had had story after story passed down from generation to generation to generation to them. I'm not talking some little stories. I'm talking some great stories. See, they knew when they went outside and they looked at the universe that God was revealing himself. See, they remembered the stories of creation. They remembered that Moses had documented the very word of God to tell them about the six days of creation. Kids, 
You guys remember the six days of creation? Remember that? How God created everything. He just spoke it and it was. Imagine being able to do that for just a second. Think about you just, I mean, something simple like a football. Football. See, I can't do that. But it would be really cool if I could just say it and it would appear. God, in all his power, and all his authority, spoke it. And things came to be from nothing but the word of God. They recognized this. And it was something great, a testimony of his goodness. Imagine seeing that. Imagine hearing about that. But that's not all. They knew that God had revealed himself by flooding the world in his wrath. You guys remember the story of Noah? Kids, remember Noah? Yeah, remember Noah, the flood? I got some thumbs up, right? So think about this. Man in his sin, God in his wrath, sent a flood that covered the whole world. The entire world. He spares Noah and his family. Remember they build the ark? And they float on it, and it's like the river rampage at Dollywood. They're just bouncing around, right? They're floating on this thing, and it's an incredible testimony of God's wrath, his power, his holiness. And at the end, do you remember the rainbow? Remember the rainbow? This sign from God that he'll not destroy the world by a flood again. It's an incredible testimony of his power, his authority on display. They knew these stories. They knew that God had revealed himself by confusing the languages at the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that? Remember they're working on the Tower of Babel? Yeah, and then they confuse all their languages, and it spreads people around the whole world. I can't even get my family to leave our house, go get something to eat. God spreads people out over the entire world, gives them languages in a moment and in an instant. It's incredible. Do you remember him delivering Israel? Remember him delivering Israel from the superpower that was Egypt? He reveals himself by delivering his people. Do you guys remember the ten plagues? Remember hearing about the ten plagues? Yeah, you remember that too? I do too. That's incredible. And it's really gross. There's like gnats and frogs and all kinds of stuff. There weren't cicadas. Locusts are like grasshoppers, not the same thing. But you get the idea. By the way, can we just pause for a second? I've yet to see a cicada. I don't believe it anymore. I'm off the cicada bus. Anyway, there are all these plagues, all these things that are happening. Think about this. The fifth plague, all the Egyptian livestock, all their animals died. But none of Israel's did. Think about that. The sixth plague, all the Egyptians got boils and sores. Yeah. None of the Israel did. Think about, again, all these incredible things that God did that displayed his authority, his power, his sovereignty. And do you remember how they left? They're running, they're fleeing, they're going out, and they come up on the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Remember that story? And God just parts it, and they just walk through, wave at a fish on the way. I don't know, but it was incredible. Man, wouldn't that be something? 
You think, I've never gotten to do anything like that. Wouldn't that be something to see that? To see God's presence in that way. Then they cross over. Do you remember they have to go take the land? Do you remember the conquest and how God fights for his people? Kids, any of you remember the story of Jericho? Remember Jericho? Yeah, I'm getting some thumbs up. We remember that one too. I think that's one of the coolest stories in all of Scripture. Do you remember this? Israel marches around the city. And on the seventh day, they go seven times and they're like, Wah! That's what I think they did. And the walls fell down. They just fell down. Can you imagine how cool that would be? What a son. You tell your grandkids, hey, you know, when your dad was younger, he walked around the city of Jericho and went, ah, the walls fell down. God did an incredible thing. Man, that is something great. What an incredible sign. Do you remember how God defeated giants for his people? Do you remember David and Goliath? Anybody remember that one? David and Goliath? Oh, man. David, a little shepherd boy, confronts the champion, Goliath, the giant, and with a slingshot takes him down, kills Goliath. You know, my daughter, she's in the room, she was in preschool, and they don't tell you all the story in preschool, but I, I apparently started teaching Lena the whole story too soon, and so they're in preschool, and like, David killed Goliath, and Lena goes, and then cut off his head, <laughs> which it's also true that does happen in the story. Guys, you can ask your parents about that one later. Um, but man, a shepherd boy taking down a giant soldier with a slingshot. Man, that's something great. You'd remember that. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Anybody remember them? Oh, man. They get thrown into a fiery furnace. Remember that? They don't even get hurt. That's right. They're like fireproof. And not only that, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, how many people does he see? Four. The very presence of God hanging out with three dudes in a furnace. Man, that is something great. Do you remember Hey, parents, grandparents, do you remember? These are incredible testimonies. This is something great. And so these scribes and these Pharisees, they knew all that. They'd heard all that. They'd studied all that. It had been made known to them. And now they are hearing about these incredible signs that Jesus is doing. See, up to this point in Matthew, Jesus is doing some pretty incredible things himself. And word is getting around. He's healed a man's withered hand. He healed a mute man, a person who couldn't speak. Jesus said, speak, and they spoke. And the crowd marveled. They marveled. Jesus heals two blind men. 
He gives life back to a girl that everyone thought was dead. He calmed a storm. I mean, think about that. Just give yourself a moment to understand the authority. Wake up, walk out on the boat, chill, storm stops. That would be something to see. That is something great. He heals a centurion servant with a word. We've been told that throughout Matthew, that just with a word, not even in their presence, but from a distance with the word, could heal. He cast out demons. He had no rival. There was none like him. See, the scribes and the Pharisees had heard. They knew of great signs. But it wasn't enough. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So they want a sign, and Jesus says back, no sign is going to be given to you, scribes, Pharisees, except the sign of Jonah. Now our big truth, going back to last week that we're carrying through chapter 12, is something greater is here. And in this illustration, in this moment, that is something greater than Jonah. So kids, you remember the story of Jonah? Yeah, we remember that one, right? So Jonah is told by God, go to Nineveh and proclaim their sin. Proclaim the coming judgment. Now, Nineveh is a bad place. It's the cap, one of the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah doesn't want to go, remember? So he runs, he flees God's call. He gets on a fishing boat and tries to get as far away from Nineveh as he can. But a storm came, by the way, same God that can calm the storm, can create the storm. Storm comes, the ship was in danger, and the crew is determined to discern what is happening, because this is no normal storm. Jonah tells the crew, it's clearly me, I'm running from the Lord, and so what do they do? They throw him overboard. At this point, Jonah would rather die. Then go to Nineveh. God caused a great fish to swallow Jonah. So now Jonah is in this belly of the fish. I'm sure it smells great. Pleasant. Three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. And the fish spits up Jonah. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He proclaims judgment. By the way, Jonah's sermon is simply this, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's pretty precise. Nineveh repents. See, now watch. Illustrations 
are usually narrow. Um, they're painting similarities that frame nuances of understanding. But usually our illustrations don't completely hold. And so it's really important that we understand what we're trying to kind of paint the picture of similarities in any illustration. And so I want to make sure we get something here, kids. Watch. Jesus isn't running from God. He isn't going to be swallowed by a big fish. So what is the similarity? Verse 40 here in chapter 12. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying, you want a sign. You're getting one. So you're looking for like Daniel in the lion's den. You're looking for like the Jordan River to stand up on a heap. See, you're looking for something. Something great. Jesus is telling them something greater is here. See, Jesus is pointing out that he is the sign. He is the sign. He is the greater sign. What is happening right before them in that very moment is the greatest of signs. It is the gospel that God would take on flesh and lay down his life for them. And see, in the story, the wonderful, wonderful picture of redemptive love is Jesus took the cross. power of resurrected life in Jesus is on display and so Jesus is making this similarity that he will go into the heart of the earth that he'll die for three days but then raise himself anew to life and by the very testimony of his resurrection proclaim salvation and hope see here in Nineveh they repented at the word delivered by Jonah and yet now to the scribes and the Pharisees to this generation Jesus the living word is standing in front of them as a sign and yet they will not repent. Verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And you guys remember Solomon? You guys remember Solomon? Solomon's known for his wisdom, right? One of the kings of Israel. And God anointed him and gave him wisdom, great wisdom. And there's this story of this queen. She's like from like modern-day Yemen, like Arabia. And she travels all the way. There's no cars, there's no planes. It's a long, long journey. All the way to Solomon to learn from his wisdom. Not just, listen, I'm not talking just his understanding, but his wisdom and understanding of who God is that would anoint him with such wisdom. You'll see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and 1 Kings chapter 10. 
She pursued in faith the revelation, the sign that had been made known to her. And now Jesus says she will stand in judgment. An outsider, outside of Israel, will stand in judgment against the scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because she pursued in faith a sign as small as Solomon's wisdom. And yet Jesus stands in front of them, the greatest sign of all. And they do not repent. They do not see. See, our big truth is something greater is here. Something greater than Jonah. Something greater than Solomon. Last week, Paul walked us through a few big ideas and helped us think about that. He told us how Jesus is the true and better Sabbath in the first part of chapter 12. The true and better temple, the true and better servant, the true and better king. But today, the back part of chapter 12, we see that Jesus is the true and better sign. He is the true and better sign. How much better? The best. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 speaking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God on display as a sign to humanity. He is the greatest sign. And if you're sitting there and you're kind of like me, this happens sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah. But the Pharisees and the scribes, he was standing right in front of them. I mean, he, they could touch them. I want to read you something from Peter. So if anybody had access to Jesus, Peter would be one of these, right? I mean, not only is he one of the 12, he's one of the three that were really close to him. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 16, Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, this is Peter speaking, now listen, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. They saw it with their own eyes. Verse 17, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic, 
by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, now I want to remind you of a story. This is a really incredible story. If you remember, Peter is one of those people, it's called the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus is there praying. Peter's one of the people that are with him. Okay? A voice from the Father shakes the foundation of the earth and speaks to the Son. Now, if that wouldn't be enough, somehow, some way, Moses and Elijah show up. There's like a party going on. Who knows what's going on? It's, it's incredible. Now, you be Peter in that moment. And you hear the voice of the Father shake the foundations of the earth speaking to the Son. You see the prophets giving testimony to who he is. How's that for a great sign? That would be incredible, right? And Peter's saying, I was there. I saw it. That's insane. That's incredible. I can't even comprehend that. What a great sign. Listen to verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You know what he's just saying? Watch this. We have a more fully confirmed testimony than even my experience. That's Peter's experience. That's not just somebody. That's Peter. And Peter is saying the scriptures that reveal to us who Jesus is and communicate to us the very sign that is the greatest sign to ever come. We have a more trusted source, a greater testimony, the very inspired word of God to make much of the Son of God, the living word. What an incredible blessing. And so when we gather together and we worship we say we worship through the word. What do we mean in that? We mean that in the very word of God, Jesus, the greatest sign to all of humanity of the love of God, is made known more clearly than any experience you or I may ever have, short of this side of eternity. Man, does that not put into perspective the value? of our Bible? Does that not call into conviction our heart to open its pages to read and to study and to pray and to seek the signs of God that are therein? I hope so. As the team comes up, I want to remind you of something. God has made himself known. 
while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that he took flesh and paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. So that as Paul says, we might have peace with God. No longer his enemy, but through faith in Jesus adopted into his family. Joint heirs with his son in the family of God. Through faith. And so as we sing this song, church, I would just encourage you to praise the one true God. Make much of Jesus. And if there's anyone here and you have never placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a little off right out these doors to the left, there's an area called the hub. There's a team of people out there that would love to talk with you this morning. But let us stand, let us continue to worship, and let's make much of the greatest sign, the greatest Savior, Jesus Christ.